Great. Well, uh, we are in week three of a little series on the book of Luke. The more observant amongst you will notice over the last couple of weeks that we didn't actually start in Luke chapter one. And the reason we didn't start in Luke chapter one is that Luke chapter one is Christmas. And although some people, including Arlene on our staff team, would like it to be Christmas already and has already started with the Christmas music, it is in fact October. And so we thought we'd better leave Luke chapter 1 until Christmas itself. And so we jumped in at Luke chapter 4, which is the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we saw a couple of weeks ago how the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, anointed him, called him, empowered, affirmed him for this world-changing ministry. And uh, we saw how that filling of the Holy Spirit actually took Jesus not to the place of immediate ministry, but took him to the wilderness, the place of struggle and battle. And I just want to say thank you so much to all the people who sent me emails off the back of that sermon a couple of weeks ago. I just got so many emails from people saying, just so you know, Pastor Ben, um, that's us. Like We are in battle right now. We are in wilderness. Thank you for talking about that in the church. And I just wanted to say, um, if that is you, then we love you, and we don't have to be a church where we pretend that we're not in battle and wilderness. It's absolutely right and good to affirm and pray and encourage each other whilst we're in battle and wilderness together. Uh, so we, we talked about battle and wilderness And then Gary last week took us from the next bit of the story where Jesus leaves the wilderness and he goes into the place of the synagogue, like the public meeting place like we're doing here this morning. And in front of all these people, Jesus gets up and tells the world basically, this is what I came to do. And uh, he quoted Jesus from Isaiah 61, which says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to, and these are the amazing things, proclaim the good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I just love that. What did Jesus come to do when he was on earth? This is what Jesus came to do in his own words. Good news, salvation, freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, setting the oppressed free. And what I love about that little passage that Gary brought to us last week is that it's, it's this public word-based theological proclamation. Jesus takes the Old Testament scriptures, these prophetic statements, the whole story of Israel, brings it all to this pinnacle moment in history when he applies it to his own life and says, this is who I am. This is what the new kingdom is going to look like on earth through my life, through my ministry and the ministry of the church. It's a very word-based approach. But then today, which we've now got up to, today we're moving from the kind of word proclamation to the spirit ministry. See that word spirit? If you've been around vintage for a while, word spirit, that's, there you go. That's it. Right, <laughs> let's have our reading. And our reading is uh, from Luke chapter four. And I really want to invite you as every week, please have this open. Um, you can have it open on a phone. I'll pretend that you're not playing Candy Crush. Um, And uh, if you have your Bibles or if you even have it in paper form, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. Luke 4, 31 to 37. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man by a... by, uh, possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. 
Then the demons threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are, with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So one of the joys and the challenges of doing a book study is that you're rather obliged to take the passage that is put in front of you each week. And uh, about 10 days ago, when I was looking at the passage for this morning, I have to be honest with you, I slightly freaked out. Uh, Because there is a very significant elephant in the room uh, that we have to deal with this morning. Uh, It's not a literal element, but it is an elephant. It is the word demon. Uh, If you go to church around Pasadena this morning or in the greater LA area, I imagine you won't find too many churches speaking about the demonic today. Um, But the joys of going through a book study is that we have to deal with what's in front of us. And so we are going to speak this morning about this concept of, of the demonic. Now, before you freak out and run for the exits, I have got a smile on my face because I'm going to show you why having a good, healthy, right understanding of these areas is not scary and freaky and weird, but actually can be really helpful and can help us in our ministries and our understanding to move towards freedom and wholeness and to help other people move towards freedom and wholeness. Okay, so you're up for it. We're going to talk about demonic for a few minutes. So hold, hold, hold with me. So, right, two weeks ago, we spoke about these two kingdoms when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in in the wilderness. You had the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, which is this kingdom of salvation and freedom and love and goodness. And then we had this kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the devil, where Jesus on one side said, my kingdom is about all that I have given away given for healing, given for others, given for salvation, the kingdom of darkness from this devil who is an accuser and a tempter and a liar and a slanderer says, all the available authority, all the available power taken for me, grabbed hold of for me. It's all about me, Jesus, as if all this was for me, for my glory and my fame. I think that's not how that worship song goes, but it would be if the devil was singing it, maybe. I don't know. Um, Don't. We're not doing that song ever again. Okay, right. Um, But you need to understand a little bit more about the devil. Not too much more, but you do need to take a little bit of a thought about, well, who is the devil and where does the devil come from? And if you join together different bits of scripture, you actually get some information about the devil. The first thing you understand is that the devil was created. He was created by God for the very simple reason everything was created by God. Nothing existed without God. The devil was created, and not only was he created, he was actually created good. Why? Because everything that was created was created originally good. And it was created good with free will. All beings were created with free will. The devil was created originally to be an angel, to be a senior angel with significant authority in the spiritual realms, and he was a good angel. But because he had free will, like all things have free will, he had the ability to choose to obey and join in or rebel. And what we find out is, in fact, that there was a rebellion, that the devil rebelled against God out of his pride, out of his jealousy, out of his desire to be in charge, to be bigger and to be more significant, to be more important than God. We read about a rebellion. And not a rebellion of kind of like one one entity, one devil. But we actually read about this rebellion or a war of devil, who is an angel, and other angels rebelling against God and his angels. And if you turn to uh, Revelation 12, 9, which is a beautiful uh, picture, you read this, the great dragon 
was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Right, so Satan has angels. God has angels. We know we we talk, don't we, sometimes at Christmas about angel Gabriel and beautiful things like that, but there's also this other concept of the angelic, the other concept of spiritual beings who don't side with God, who don't do God's bidding, who don't work for the good of those who love and know God, but in fact do the opposite, that they are demonic angels, that they are spirits of darkness. Obviously, you're already freaked out. You're going, what is he talking about already? What are we doing this morning? But this is where it comes from. If you turn to um, Ephesians chapter 6, which we looked at a few weeks ago, Paul says this, right? In the place of battle, in the place of wilderness, this is what it looks like. Your struggle is not against flesh, and it's not against blood in the physical, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is what Paul is speaking about. Paul speaks about the fact that there are dark forces in the spiritual realms that are actually the source of the battle that we face. The battle is not in the the physical realms all the time, that there is a whole other level of good versus evil that's going on, and the evil that is going on is this word demonic or the spiritual forces of darkness that Paul uses. Now, it's kind of interesting, because I think if you were to go to church this morning in many places in Africa, or you go to church in places of Central uh, Asia, or, or in Southern Asia, or in Central America, many Christians would go, yeah, absolutely. And, and we know all about that. We talk about it all the time. We've experienced it. It's completely normal. Interestingly, though, I think if you go to many churches in the West today, we kind of look with this look of kind of sheer terror and like, what is going on this morning? Why are we talking about this stuff? Because we've done a really good job in our culture of talking about God and about the goodness, and we kind of bring in angels at Christmas time when we dress up our little children like that, but we don't really talk very much at all about the demonic. We don't talk really very much about the the darker forces of the spiritual things. Um, but it's interesting that this is a topic that is like deeply biblical. It's a topic that, that comes up time and time and again in, in Scripture. Like we're going through Luke's Gospel, and in Luke's Gospel, there are 23 different instances of Jesus dealing with demonic forces, spiritual forces. Now, don't worry, we're not going to have 23 sermons on the demonic over the next month. It's okay. But it is a topic that I think is worth talking about for good reason, because good can come out of understanding a little bit about this. Okay, so you're going to have to come with me in this little bit of journey. So uh, what do these demonic forces do? Like, how how do they impact people? What is going on? Well, it seems like at the the extreme end, and that's exactly what we just read about this morning, when in extremist form, demonic forces can can almost possess a human being. They They can take over. Think about those weird horror movies that you maybe watched and wish you'd never watched with like people foaming at the mouth or those things kind of going on. Somebody being taken over almost so that they have no control over their being. And um, Laura and I have a friend called Nicola. Nicola is, um, she's English, but she runs an amazing nonprofit in um, Kampala and some of the, the rural areas of Uganda. And she uh, sees instances of this kind of stuff going on all the time. She has just the most crazy stories particularly because these are areas of like incredible witchcraft. And so she sees this demonic uh, thing playing out. But the word that's uh, used there, the word for possessed, actually can also be just as easily translated as oppression 
or affliction, which doesn't mean that someone is completely taken over by a demonic force and they foam at the mouth or whatever it might be, but it actually just means that there are demonic forces which continue to impact, continue to pressure, to continue to bear influence on a person. Now, here's something you really need to know. If you are a Christian this morning, you cannot be possessed in that fullest sense by demonic forces. You can't. And the reason you can't is really very simple. When you gave your life to Jesus, when you came under the Lordship of Christ, one of the things that we taught you and you taught your kids is this, is that you had Jesus, Holy Spirit, come to live in you. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, guess what? You can't, therefore, have a demon living in the center of your spiritual being because it's not possible. But what is possible, and it seems to be continually possible, is for demonic forces to continue to pressure, to attack, to cause damage to Christians. And it seems to happen not because uh, demonic things have happened since you became a Christian, but often it seems to happen because people in their pasts knowingly or unknowingly have opened the door to darkness, that they have opened the door to spiritual things that are not of God. Right? You know, when you become a Christian, we say, Lord, Lord, I open my life, and would you come in, and would you inhabit my life? Would you come and build your kingdom in my life? Well, there are many things that you can do in life which are not that, which in fact are opening the doors to dark forces. I mean, for example, at the extreme forms, you know, obviously when you, we see some people who've you know, been involved in Satan worship, or the occult, or witchcraft, or, or psychics. You know, those things are direct ways that you can say, like, here's my life, come on in, and not to God. But there's a second tier, interesting, I think, which is a little bit more subtle. Um, things like you know, Freemasonry, or idol worship, or forms of New Ageism at their extreme forms, which again are literally invitations to spiritual forces to come and inhabit. But I think there's a third tier as well, and this is the one that gets a little bit more tricky and we need to be just gentle with it, is I think there seems to be increasing evidence that there are also other ways to open up the doors to darkness, and they are other ways that we partner and agree with the forces of darkness. They are things like living in a place of unforgiveness, of bitterness, of habitual dark sin, anywhere, in fact, where we don't say, Lord, this is who you say I am, this is who you call me to be, but instead where we agree with the devil, where we partner with the devil, where we contract with the devil to agree with the things that he says to be true of our life. Now, don't freak out yet, it's going to be okay. Um, (laughs) Now, what seems to be the case is that demonic forces can impact people. They can, they can impact, in some ways, Christians. They can certainly rage havoc in non-Christian spaces. They can inhabit generations and families. Um, Laura and I have had the opportunity to minister in a few places to people who have, who've had you know, demonic uh, like, um, pressure and opposition that's come not just in one place, but it's actually come down through generational lines from father to son or mother to son, and it's come all the way down. But the third way, um, which is a way that you know, dominant forces seem to be able to also have an impact, is in buildings. And this is going to sound strange, or in places. So um, Laura and I, we planted a church about 10 years ago, and uh, we had this, this really big old church building. And when we arrived there, it was really weird, because the leadership team all walked into this building, and almost all of us went, hmm, there's something wrong. 
there is something creepy. Like there's some sort of physical darkness, spiritual darkness in this building. And now this was an old Christian church. People had been worshiping in it for many years. But all of us were like, there's really something wrong. And we, we did a little bit of research. We actually asked a, a, a Christian um, a ministry that works in this area to help us. And we looked at the history of this building. We looked back at the history of the past of this building. We realized that for hundreds of years, many of the pastors had not just been Christian pastors, but they had been like leaders in the Freemasonry movement. And although this had been a place of worship, it had also been a place of worship of other things as well. And we had to deal with it. We had to pray into it. We had to invite other people to pray light into those dark places. So there's different ways that the demonic forces can wreak havoc in people. But what is it like? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Well, I'm only going to do a tiny bit here because we just don't have time, but I'm certainly going to recommend to you this morning this amazing book by Charles Craft, which um, our prayer ministry team have used and other people used. It's a brilliant book that helps you to understand. But just these are just some of the ways that that we try and understand a little bit about demonic uh, places of chronic and unexplained sickness can be physical. Places where there is an external oppression that goes uh, upon people's lives. It can be places of emotional darkness. Places which seem like even beyond anything that we can understand in an emotional or even in a scientific way, but where there is a just deep darkness that can rest in somebody's life. It can be you know, other places of addiction which are just, just too difficult to break. Now, we have to be a little bit careful here. And I'm, you know, because someone, you're going to raise a flag and go, what are you talking about, Ben? Is that we have to understand that there's often more than one thing going on, right? We're now, we, we live in a culture, I think, where we're very, very good at the physical. We are very good scientifically at trying to understand medicine and healing, right, in a physical sense. We are, live in a culture which is really good at um, viruses and it's really good at immunization and bones and cells and, and x-rays and, and surgery. But we're increasingly also living in a space where people understand that there's not just a physical thing often going on, but there's an emotional thing going on. Right? That emotionally, those emotional things to do with our mental health, to do with the way that we think, are very intertwined. And today is World Mental Health Day for a really good reason, because we realize inside the church, but also outside the church, our mental health and our emotions are very tied up with physically how we're doing. But what we often neglect to do, I think, inside our our Christian churches, particularly in the West, is that we forget that there's also often a spiritual space too. Right? There's a physical space, there's an emotional space, but there's also spiritual space. And all three of these areas can often be really intertwined. Now, it doesn't mean that when you're walking down the street and you see someone with a broken leg, you're like, aha, demonic infestation of the leg. Deliverance ministry is required immediately. Right? But what we do need to understand better, I think, I need to understand better, is that there are often th- different dynamics and different dimensions. And sometimes we can't explain everything physically, We can't explain everything emotionally. And actually, sometimes we have to go deeper and understand, are there spiritual dynamics um, at play in these spaces? Okay, so I freaked you out. You're wondering why you came this morning. How do we respond? Does this even help to talk about? Well, I want to tell you this morning, it's really good to talk about this uh, in a short way because there is such opportunity for victory and healing here. And the first reason uh, that we, the way that we do that is this, and it's always the answer in church. 
We do it by focusing on Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, just in case you were ever wondering, right? Today's passage says this. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. There's the demonic. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You notice that it is the sheer presence of Jesus in this situation, in the presence of the demon, which causes the demon to go completely and absolutely nuts and to panic and be afraid. Jesus hasn't even said anything. He hasn't even done anything at this point. It is literally just by being there that suddenly the demonic has a major problem. When Paul says in that passage in Ephesians 6, he says, when you are in a spiritual battle, this is what you do. Anyone know what he says to do? You do. What's Ephesians 6 say? Put on the full armor of God. Thank you. Uh, and, okay, here's the next test. I'm going to check you out this morning and see what you're doing. Okay, what is the full armor of God? If you know what one of the answers is, could you shout out? Helmet of salvation, which is the salvation in who? Jesus. Excellent. Fantastic. Anyone else got one? Breastplate of righteousness. Where does your righteousness come from? Jesus. Excellent. Anyone know where we're getting this? Anyone else got one? Sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which is obviously the gospel of Jesus. Okay, anyone? Any got any more? Belt of truth. Okay, see where we might be going. Truth of Jesus, God. Okay, next, any more? There's a few more. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. How do you get peace in a spiritual sense? Through Jesus. Congratulations. Okay, did I miss one? Have we got them all now? Shield of faith. Oh, yeah, well, who do you have faith in? Jesus. Jesus. You see, the answer is always Jesus when you come to church. Always Jesus. Okay. Um, when John opens up his gospel, John chapter 1, he says this, The light, who is Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Fundamental, massive truth you have to understand in this area is that light conquers darkness. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a really dark room. I'm sure you have. Uh, Laura and I moved house over the summer, and we now live in a house on one of the darkest streets in the world. Uh, and our house is definitely one of the darkest houses in the world. Um, it's great for sleeping, except that I constantly live with bruises all over my legs, right? Because every time I get up in the middle of the night to go to find a glass of water or go to the restroom, I smash into things, like left, right, and center. When you live in darkness, it's scary. It's actually, you know, there's a reason our kids get scared of the dark, because we can't see what's going on. We cause ourselves damage. But when you turn on a light in a dark room, actually, it doesn't even need to be a big light to transform a dark space, right? You know, the, the reason I, turn on my, I don't turn my iPhone on is because I know I'll wake Laura up immediately if I turn my iPhone on, so I smash into the walls instead, right? But, but even a small light can transform a dark space. And when you give your life to Jesus, a huge light goes on in your light. The Bible puts it this way, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In a spiritual way, this spiritual light just blazed through the middle of your spiritual life. You are a transformed being. And now you are in a different place. But even though you're a Christian, this is what can still be true, is that you can still have, I can still have, areas of darkness in the corners of my life. You know, like in a, in a really bright room, you can have the brightest light, and yet you can still have shadows. 
And you can have shadows because there are objects in the way which block things from the light. Right? If you have stuff that's been put there, like furniture in a room that's been placed in the wrong place, it can cast a big shadow. And you and I, as Christians, can still have shadows in our life. We can still have areas of darkness, things that have been put there, things that have been left there, things that are in the wrong order, in the wrong place, which means that not, things are not in the light. And so whenever we think about this ministry, and the reason this is so important is that the reason we think about demons and stuff is that ultimately it's always this principle of bringing things from darkness to light. It is about bringing things out of the shadows and out of the place of the darkness and bringing them into the light of Christ. The Bible calls it sanctification. You became a Christian, instantly you were transformed and your future destiny is assured. But you are on a long process, like I am, of moving parts of your life from darkness to light. And it takes a bit of work and it takes a little bit of doing. But because of Jesus, it's possible. In fact, because of Jesus, the battle is already ultimately won. This is not like you know, the World Series final of two evenly matched teams. This is like the Dodgers versus the under three T-ball team from East Pasadena. Right? This is the level that we need to understand this stuff. And Jesus has authority. In fact, the sheer name of Jesus has authority. The Bible puts it like this. Jesus is the name above every other name. Philippians 2.9. Philippians 10.13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 14, 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified, may, may be glorified in the Son. The, the authority that we have in Christ is overriding. It's massive. It's incredible. And so our ministry, whenever we talk about darkness, is not actually a ministry about darkness. It's a ministry about light and bringing things into the light. You with me? Okay, good. So because it's a ministry of light, it also means this we don't actually need to go hunting for demons. That's the good news. Bill Johnson from uh, Bethel Church says this, the devil is not someone I focus on much, only long enough to put him in my crosshairs and pull uh, the trigger. Um, a bunch of years ago, someone gave me this amazing book. If you can see it on the camera or if you can see it here this morning. Uh, it was clearly a book written in another generation. Uh, I mean, you can see from the colors on the, the typeface, it wouldn't pass a test today. But I got given this as a young adult um, when I was a Christian. And it's a great book, by the way. Um, it's about spiritual warfare. Um, but at that point in my life, I don't think I'd ever once ever thought about demonic or spiritual warfare. Um, and overnight, I transformed myself from someone who had not in any way ever thought about it to a ghostbuster, as far as I could see. I, I could see demons everywhere. I mean, literally would walk down the street and go, man, there's a demon in that person's face, the spirit of ugliness. <laughs> no, that's, that's, a, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. That didn't happen. Um, you know, but you, you can, oh, that person's got a broken leg. There must be a demonic force in that. Let's cast it out. You know, you can go, you can actually get yourself very quickly into very dark places when you go into that. And I don't think there is ever, or there isn't, evidence anywhere that Jesus went hunting out the demonic. He didn't. Jesus dealt with the demonic when it manifested itself in front of him. He dealt with the problem when the problem presented itself to him. And that's really important because unless you have a particular ministry in this area of deliverance or a ministry of discerning the spirits, probably you don't want to be someone who is obsessed by the demonic. It won't help you. And, and this is kind of a little analogy that might, might or might not help you at all. Um, when I was 18, uh, I learned to snowboard. I went to the interior of Canada 
which is the coldest place in the universe, uh, if, you've, if you've ever been there. Um, and I did my snowboarding lessons, and I was seeing them in the morning, and then in the, in the afternoon, I'd go and practice on the beginner run, and I wasn't very good then, and I'm not very good now. But I, I remember one afternoon just going down this beginner run, and my, my, my instructors had forgotten to teach me one extremely important lesson when you're learning to do anything like this, which is that you should always look where you want to go, and you must not look at the thing you're trying to avoid. Right, so as I was going down this this gr this green run or whatever, in the distance there was this sign which said something like, you know, ski lift to this on the left and another ski lift on the right. And I thought, okay, well it's like 400 feet away, I'll be fine. Just don't don't hit it. Okay, so I sort of down I came, fixed my eyes on it to make sure that I did not hit it. 200 feet away from the sign, it was getting a lot closer. And I thought, okay, right, it's okay. I'm gonna fix my eyes on it so I don't hit it. Right, 100 feet away, I realized I was getting a bit serious at this point. 50 feet away, 40 feet away, 10 feet away, I realized I was in very serious difficulty because I was going much too fast. And so I did that thing which they teach you to do in snowboarding where you go sideways on and you lean back and dig in to try and stop. Unfortunately, I did that at the exact moment that I hit the sign. Uh, and absolutely just like clean out, destroyed the sign. Like it was a wooden sign laid in pieces all over the ground. I was like sprawled out like a you know, kid lying on the ground. And because I was 18, of course, my instant reaction was, I'm too cool to show pain. I will get up. So I staggered to my feet. Like, fortunately, it didn't seem like there were too many people around. I picked up the remnants of the sign and shoved it in the ground. And like off I went to the bottom of the run, trying desperately not to look too hurt. Now, I thought, I'd, I thought I got away with it. I thought I got away with it until the next morning when I turned up at my lesson. And uh, the, the ski instructors were standing there, like in a line, with a massive smile on their face. And they're like, hey, Ben, how, how are you doing today? I was like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm doing okay. And they said, well, it's really interesting because we were all standing in the bar yesterday afternoon having a drink, and we just were standing over there watching, and we all watched you completely destroy uh, the ski run sign. Are you okay? Now, what's my point, <laughs> if, I, if there is a point? My point is this, is that if you focus on darkness too much, if you focus on the, you will hit it. You will end up in that place. You don't need to focus on darkness. You need to focus on light. And you need to be able to deal with the darkness as it presents itself to you. You need to be aware of it. You need to read the signs. You're able to understand what's going on. But you do not need to be obsessed about it. What Jesus does is he deals with the very symptoms as they manifest themselves. It, the, the demon says this, he cried out at the top of his voice, go away, what do you want with us, uh, Jesus uh, of Nazareth? And uh, you know that is how we are invited to do this, not to be obsessed about the demonic, but to be aware, to understand the signs and to join in. So we focus on light, we don't get obsessed about the demonic, but we are absolutely aware that there is a reality and there are things that are going on around us. And then uh, thirdly this, finally this, that when we face demonic temptations, when we face things in these spiritual realms, that we, we deal with the demons and we don't deal with the people, right? How does Jesus in this situation deal with the evil in front of him? He does this, verse 35. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demons threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. What does Jesus do? He silences the demonic forces. He takes authority. He says, you have no right to be here. You have no right to have any influence here. You have no right to speak, so be quiet. And then what does he do? He casts the demon out. 
he tells the demon to leave the situation. Um, Margreta did an amazing job of praying a little bit earlier. She modeled something really beautiful. Because if I'm honest, sometimes my prayer life in any area can feel a little bit like this. Dear God, I know you're really busy. You're probably too busy to even listen to me right now, so I should probably stop. But if you're not too busy and you have any sort of time whatsoever left over in your really important day, would it be possible if you might possibly ever just kind of maybe do something with my friend who is dying, right? That's the kind of level we can pray at. Jesus doesn't pray in that level, and we're gonna see more next week about how physical healings can happen. What does Jesus do? He speaks with authority, and he speaks to the situation, to the demonic force. When we pray, we don't need to try and you know, cast the demon of ugliness out of our friends by like speaking to them. We need to speak to demonic forces and tell demonic forces to be quiet and to go. So, so what about like us? Because you're probably sitting there going, oh gosh, I never thought about this. Are you telling me that I am you know, oppressed by demons and is that thing in my life, is that a demonic thing or is that not a demonic thing and is it a physical thing and oh my goodness, what's going on and now I'm confused. And um, I want to just, just say quickly that if you do feel like that in any respect, I, I do absolutely, and I'll hold it up again, want to put this book in front of you um, it's called Two Hours, Two Hours to Freedom by Charles Craft. And uh, it's just a really good practical guide to that. But I also want to take the opportunity this morning to introduce you to something. Um, we have a bunch of different ministries here at Vintage. And this morning, we're actually formally launching another one. Uh, and this is called uh, Inner Healing Prayer. Uh, it's part of our prayer ministry. Um, it's a way that we get to do business with God to see freedom in every area of our life. And um, uh, our friend John, who is part of this church, he's here this morning somewhere, and he uh, is going to be heading up this ministry. He's made a little video to tell you about how it's going to work. Inner healing is a powerful form of prayer specifically designed to bring healing and freedom from our past hurts, our past negative experiences, if you will. It also exposes lies that we believe about our identity, who we are, and also who God is really for us. It's based on Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, where it talks about God anointing us to bring healing to the brokenhearted. So it deals with issues of the heart. It also talks about setting captives free, which includes doing deliverance, which is basically the Holy Spirit giving us insight as to what is the strategy the enemy is using against the person, and then using our authority that God has given us to break that strategy. Inner healing really is for everybody, but first and foremost, it's for those people that are still stuck feeling certain pain, they feel vulnerable, they're perhaps easily triggered to feel abandoned, rejected, or to feel less than. But inner healing is also for those people that want to get a deeper understanding or a greater understanding of their identity and purpose. What makes inner healing unique or what makes it so effective is this deep connection that a person has during the session with Jesus. The Holy Spirit basically empowers the person to hear him more, to see him more, to really have this deep engaging encounter, which of course leads to a much more effective 
uh, healing process. And so, you know, you might be wondering this morning, like, well, that sounds a bit weird and it's beyond my Christian understanding, but I, I would love, and John and I were talking about it with Linda recently, saying that well, we would love everybody in our church to go through in a healing prayer session. They can be online, uh, they can be in person, they take a couple of hours. And as John said, they are places where we can simply open our lives to the Holy Spirit to ask him to help us to understand and to see some of the things that have happened in our past. Um, we've had a bunch of people quietly going through this for a while now. We've been test driving this. John and Tisler have been running this ministry through Pi Hop for a bunch of years now. And it's an amazing ministry. It's incredible. Um, and so if this morning you, know, you just thought, oh gosh, just maybe something Ben said there, maybe there's something in my past there which is dark and not light. Maybe there is something in the emotional space or the physical space or, or the spiritual space which I would love to understand if, it's a bit, if it does have roots that need dealing with and if there is some stuff here. Then I just simply want to invite you to, to take the opportunity um, to use the resource that we have in John and Tisla and their team. Uh, you can book an appointment. It's totally free. You can do it through the website. If you go to vintagepasadena.com forward slash prayer, there is a way that you can simply sign up. It's totally confidential. I will not get told who said what to what. I'll only get told that somebody signed up and who the person was. Um, and I would love to invite you. I would love to invite you. Because as I say, this is not an area that we need to be obsessed about. This is not an area that we need to be overly concerned about. It's not even an area that I'm going to speak to very often in the life of the church. But I do believe that there is significant freedom significant healing that is on offer through this ministry. And I would love to help you and to help myself move further into light and further from darkness. And if you want to join in, then I want to recommend that to you. But should we pray as we come to a place of responding to the Lord?